It's always good to have a Bible. I would encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, uh, get a Bible, put your name in it, and bring it to church with you. So I was given this as a gift in 2008, uh, just after the ESV Study Bible came out. And this, I love this Bible. Every sermon I have preached at this church has been preached from this Bible, from that moment forward. And I have notes in here from devotion work. Um, I have a note that my dad gave me uh, in 1987. I actually cut it out of my previous Bible and pasted it in here. This is what he said. He said, Jeremy, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. He who hears the word and obeys the word. Study to show yourself approved and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to, to change our lives. Jeremy, follow his blueprint with all your heart. May the Lord be your confidence, your strength, and your joy. You've brought so much joy to us. We love you. Dad, Mom, Matt, and Kendra. And uh, that was a gift I received on 19... 1987, the gift of a Bible, but that note was too good, so I actually cut it out of my previous Bible and brought it to this new one. But I, I say all this to say, don't worship your Bible. Don't worship your Bible. This is not an idol to be bowed down to. Worship the God of your Bible, who has so graciously given you access to hear from Him. And uh, take advantage of these freedoms that we have. Uh, so many people around the world would love to have a Bible that they could own and bring to church week after week and be in and underline and mark and, and, uh, and study. So uh, do that during the week and then bring it on Sundays. You will be blessed, I, uh, I tell you for sure. Let's pray as we begin to study this, this word this morning, if you would join me. Lord, we love your word. We want to be students of your word. We want to be those who hear, read, and then do who obey your word. Help us to be uh, patient students, Lord, to work, to be willing to put time in, to think, to, to, to ponder, to muse upon the truth of your word, to allow you to push new categories into our minds that don't exist except for your word that teaches us. Lord, renew our minds. Give us new thoughts, bigger thoughts, Call us to worship you at a deeper level. Open our eyes to glory and wonder and truth. We thank you for the gift of these verses today, and we pray for your help. Lord, may, may your Spirit open our eyes and change us as we study together today. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled the sermon this morning, The All-Sufficient Christ, and I want to draw your attention to this picture that I took it's up on the hill. We're over on the foothills of the Golan Heights, and this is the Sea of Galilee across here. See right over here? So Capernaum is way over here, and Bethsaida, which is kind of where we're going to be spending some time this morning, is somewhere in this area, very fertile valley, and there's a lot of discussion about where the city actually went. It was a small little village, and I think by, because the, the, the sea level, the water level in the lake has actually gone up, a lot of this is now underwater. Um, there was low water over here a number of years ago, and they actually found ruins of, of homes uh, and foundation rocks that were there under the water. So um, more on that in a little bit, but just to give you a taste of a hillside 
um, not far from where some of these events will, will be taking place as we journey. I want to begin just moving through these verses. It's an interesting thing to see how Luke has arranged this material. And I, I confess, I have not appreciated this as I, have, uh, as I should have until preaching through it. I saw these connections and these purposeful uh, arranging of, of these accounts come alive this week in, again, new ways. And so be watching for how these come together. Why would he put this here and tell this and then follow it with this and then this? It's just an interesting flow, and I think we'll see some connections. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, commissioned by Christ. 1 through 6 here, let's begin he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Okay, so what you have here now is what may mark about the, the halfway point in the seminary education of these disciples. They've been journeying with Jesus now for just over a year and a half. They've been with him full-time for a little bit less time than that, but they've been watching him, hanging on every word that he teaches. They've witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle, confirming that he is, in fact, not just a normal man, but that he is God and man. And now it's time for these seminary students to experience a bit of an internship. And so Jesus says, okay, you guys have heard me preach. Now it's time for you to preach. And he grabs these men, these 12 disciples that he's pulled and set apart, and he commissions them to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, don't miss the order of that. So often, even in this day and, and today, people will make a big focus on the miracles and forget the primary. The miracles were never primary. They were always secondary. The miracles were given to confirm the authority, the person of Christ, his name, his mission, his kingdom, which is the rule and reign of God. And so they are first to preach and then to heal as a unique and special display of this uh, apostolic commissioned authority. They go not in their own authority, they go in the derived authority and name of Christ to carry his message and to point to him. We read in uh, the book of Mark that this was more extensive even than Luke uh, tells us here. Not only were they given authority to cast out all demons, every demon that they came in contact with, they had authority and power to absolutely silence them and throw them out. They came across lepers, Mark tells us, and they were able to do exactly what Jesus had done. They were able to cure leprosy and heal the lepers. They were able to cure sickness in all various forms that they came across as they went out and preached and proclaimed. And we learn in Mark that they were even able to raise from the dead during this period of commission. That's incredible to see. So Jesus multiplies himself by 12 this is, as it were, the A team. There is no B team. There's no backup plan. It's this group, except for Matthias is going to replace the traitor, Judas, right? Outside of that, this is it. And they're the reason we're here today, right? The A team is sent out for their first preaching tour 
And they go two by two, and they spread out all over Galilee, and they begin to preach and heal. A preaching internship. Now, for a lot of these people, this would have been, uh, these men, you know, they weren't chosen because they were pretty amazing in the pulpit. These are normal fishermen, common folk. You've got a tax collector. You've got a bunch of fishermen. These are not highly honed and skilled proclaimers of the truth. And yet, they've been with Jesus. You remember in Acts, early on in Acts, the, the, the Sanhedrin was scratching their head. Who are these people? They hear Peter preach, and they're like, this guy's just an ordinary man. He's not even educated. And then they say, oh, but he was with Jesus. He was with Jesus. And so they take the example that they have watched and lived, really, over the last number of months with Jesus, and they go and they preach and proclaim. It's a powerful uh, experience. He says then, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread. Now, don't miss that. No bread. Oh, that was a connection that just struck me. Don't take any food, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Don't take extra set of clothes. Take what you have on your back, and you'll be good. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. So they're to go two by two, to come into a town, to preach and proclaim, and then to trust the Lord to provide a place for them to stay that night, food for them to eat, whatever they need as far as clothing and and, uh, their basic needs, those are going to have to be uh, looked to the Lord as provider. God will provide. He will sustain. What an interesting thing, a kind of a twist to add to this preaching internship. You need to trust the Lord in every single way when it comes to your sustenance, what you have. God will provide. That's the piece, I think, that is very purposeful, especially with what we know is coming in the verses ahead. Okay? So, uh, whatever, uh, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, then shake the dust off your sandals. Shake it from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went out through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, what do we make of this, this shaking the dust off your sandals? Well, the dust that they were gathering in a town that rejected the, the Messiah, in a town that rejected the kingdom, proclamation, the good news of the gospel, they were not to carry with them. And so it was, a, it was kind of a visual statement of warning and even future uh, judgment. And so you have this interesting preaching of the gospel. For some, God accomplished repentance. They heard the message. They embraced the Word of God. They repented of their sin. It was a gospel proclamation of repentance of sin. They heard God soften their hearts to receive the message, and they repented. For others, they heard exactly the same sermon. They hardened their hearts, and they rejected these men. And as they walked out of a town, 
that collectively had rejected them. They did not house them, did not feed them, did not provide for them or embrace their message. Then the dust was kicked off the sandals and they walked on. You know, what's interesting is the same proclamation of the gospel takes place today with very similar mixture of responses. God is at work to bring about repentance and at the same time, in the hearing of the exact same words, there can be a hardening of heart, rejection, a stiff arm of the gospel. Be warned this morning. Be warned. I mean, the, the proverbial sandal is shaking. Do not harden your heart to the good news of Jesus Christ. There is judgment for such Hardness of heart. Now, confused by Christ, we jump from this commission of the twelve over to Herod. And an interesting short couple of verses on Herod. Uh, Let's read these. Confused by Christ, verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some... That, uh, uh, that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, well, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Okay, what do we make of this? Herod, an extremely powerful presence in this area over Israel at this time. He is a poser king, a puppet king, really, to Rome. He is compromised. He is morally bankrupt, and he has taken the forerunner of Christ, and this is confirmation of it. He has had him beheaded. He has killed the prophet of God. I think there is some guilt and a a shade of fear operating in this. He hears reports not only about Jesus and all that's happening, but now he has commissioned 12 to go in his name and power and authority. This is multiplying. And he hears more about these men who are speaking of Jesus. And I think he's having some flashbacks to messages that he heard from John the Baptist. I think he's now realizing, well, John the Baptist wasn't pointing to himself, was he? He was pointing to the Messiah. He was anticipating Jesus. In fact, he baptized Jesus as evidence of this. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. I'm not even worthy to untie the sand. And now these 12, they're doing the same. So John's ministry anticipated Christ. The 12 are celebrating Christ and his mission, his work. I think Herod is realizing, no matter how hard he would like to have this just go away, it's not going away. It's not going away. In fact, we'll find at the end of chapter 9 that Jesus' mission targets Jerusalem. He is heading to Jerusalem. And there will be a day when these two meet face to face. He wants to see Jesus, but not because he's seeking repentance. I think he's curious, he's interested, 
He wants to find who is this man. He's intrigued by this man. He's confused by this man. But he is not seeking Jesus as Savior or Messiah. Hmm. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? I love his question, who is this? Who is this? It's the same question the disciples asked when Jesus made uh, a raging sea into glass by rebuking the wind and the waves. Who is this who can still the wind and waves? This Jesus is God. He is the Messiah, the one prophesied, anticipated, and now arrived. Hmm. And so from there we go back to another account. So see how these things move. The anticipation, the flow of uh, the commission, and then the confusion, and now contented in Christ. Verses 10 through 17. Let's move through these together. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Okay, now just pause there for a second. Imagine what it would be like to come back from this experience. You've gone out in pairs, two by two. Every single pair that has returned has story after story to tell. Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. This happened. And all we did was say, in the name of Jesus, be quiet and come out. They obeyed. This is crazy. Well, you think that's amazing? There was a funeral we showed up on and we raised her from the dead, just like you did. See, they've experienced the power and authority of Christ in their own ministry now as he's commissioned them to go. You can imagine the stories that they tell, all of the events that would have unfolded, the shaking of dust off the sandals, some bringing with them those who've repented to join the crowds, the disciples, the followers of Christ, others with stories of, of uh, violent opposition and deliverance by the hand of God. Hmm. Now, remember on the map kind of where we are here, the Sea of Galilee is a very large lake. Um, Capernaum is right over here. This is where the base of operations is. Um, for the most part, things have been kind of coming back to Capernaum, where the the home base is, and he sends them out from here. They go all over the regions, probably mostly this direction on the Jewish side of the the lake, and now Jesus says, listen, let's let's get away together, and we're going to go over to Bethsaida. Spend some time alone together over on the other side of the lake, and this for the disciples would have been the best thing, just time with Jesus, right? So they get in a boat, Mark tells us, and they begin to head toward Bethsaida. Now, um, I think this is where the ruins of Bethsaida were. This is roughly where our bus got stuck in the mud trying to get down to here. Um, But this is uh, uh, one of the outlets of the river. This is actually a newer outlet. The river used to drain out this way more completely years ago. So um, this area is probably where they're headed. It's about four miles by boat and about eight miles on foot if you're hiking around the lake. And so they set out on the sea, the 12 in a boat, 
and they're trying to get away. Once again, you see the, t- the challenge of the crowds they're just pressing in. Thousands upon thousands of people have gathered, and they, they can't seem to get away. In fact, um, listen to what Mark says. He said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They are exhausted. They're worn out. They've, they've expended themselves in this gospel proclamation and healing, and, and they're tired. Many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They're having a hard time getting a meal and just sustaining their bodies. And so Jesus, in a very gracious and loving way, says, guys, come, let's get away together. We're going to go on a little retreat. Time alone with Jesus. Now, can you imagine? I just My quiet time, I love my quiet time with the Lord. Imagine if he in person says, let's go on a retreat. This is a gift. This is the retreat you've always wanted to go on. I think they were excited. Oh, finally, we get away a little break from the crowd, get some time just with Jesus together. Here's the problem. It didn't work out that way. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them. Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So, the problem with going to Bethsaida is you can see the boat. You can see where he's headed. So all these people on the shore are like, looks like he's going to Bethsaida. Come on. And they start running. And they're pretty much arriving shortly after the disciples are crawling out of the boat and heading up, up shore. What would that be like if you're one of the disciples? Are you excited about this experience? You see, I don't know, if you're, if you're like me, you're kind of like, okay, um, I was looking forward to this, and all of these people now are crowding in on my space, right? I want time with Jesus, and so do they. Look at how Jesus responds. This is amazing grace. In fact, I went through the fruits of the Spirit. You see them all. Every single one in the response of Christ. Love, Joy, doesn't begrudging the people. Peace, patience, kindness. He's healing them. He's preaching to them. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think he's hungry? I think so. I think they're looking forward to a quiet meal, and that's just not happening. So he begins to teach, and this goes for hours. He teaches them and heals. This takes time. And the longer he teaches, the more people arrive. And the crowd begins to grow. This is not an escape. And so I think it's possible to discern here a little irritation among the twelve. And I would probably be right there with him. Oh, man, I get a break from this. We've got to get some time with Jesus and, and debrief this a little more and understand what's going on. Now, Listen to how this unfolds. The day began to wear away. Okay, do you, see, you, you hear that language? It was wearing away. Oh, man, it's almost dinner time. The sun is getting low. The twelve came and they said to Jesus. That, okay, the twelve came and they said this to Jesus. Send the crowd away 
to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place or a wilderness area. So they're not actually hanging out in Bethsaida. They're up in the area above Bethsaida in a dry kind of wilderness, in, in some translations, even desert place. This is a barren area. There's not provisions for this many people. Hmm. And Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. They did not expect that response. First of all, you have to ask the question, um, is it okay for the 12 to come to Jesus and command him to do anything? Who, who gives them the position to tell Jesus what to do? Send the crowd away, Jesus. Oh, well, excuse me. I, I was going to finish preaching, but thank you for your direction here. Right? I mean, seriously, this is audacious. This is a very rare point in contact where the disciples are almost like they forget the equation. Maybe a bit of an echo of their independence on this mission, two by two. We've got power and authority. And they forget from whom does that originate. The second thing just strikes them. Well, why don't you give them something to eat? And the response is, well, how can we possibly solve this problem? What are we supposed to do? Jesus, you want us to give them something to eat? And, and, and he's like, yeah, yeah. Now, here's what struck me. Jesus is serious. He's not just bantering back and forth, joke, haha. why don't you solve the problem? No, he's serious. You guys, give them something to eat. Why is this not unrealistic for Jesus to say? There's two reasons. One, these men know their history. They are good, faithful Jews. They know their history, but they seem to be forgetful a bit of it in this moment. The history that was rich in their own story is echoing back to Elisha and his servant when they fed 100 men with 20 rolls. How did they do that? Faith. Faith. They look to the one who has resource, and God provided bread. Maybe the most obvious one would be Moses. With all of Israel in the wilderness, hungry, and Moses looks to the Lord in prayer, and the Father gives miracle bread. He gives them bread from heaven to feed them. For those who were here when we went through Exodus, those, those sermons, were the, that was a special journey. Manna literally means, what is it? What is it? I don't know. It tastes good. It's like honey, and then if you try to save it for the next day, it's nasty. It's wonderful for one day. Daily bread. It's daily bread. So they have a historical forgetfulness, and I just was struck by this. Sometimes, Forgetfulness is the enemy of your faith. You realize that? The enemy will tempt you to forget rather than to remember. Sometimes the circumstances are happening and, and what we really need to do is just say, wait, remember. Remember. Remember our own story. Remember how he's provided. Remember what he does when we look to him in prayer. Just stop and remember. Remember. 
Remember and rely. The second thing is they're looking to resources that they can see and forgetting what they've just experienced two by two as they've been sent out. Philip answered and he said, well, 200 denarii wouldn't buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. We don't have that kind of money, Jesus. What do you mean? You feed them. First of all, we don't have that kind of money. Second of all, where in this area are we going to go and put an order in like that? You think Bethsaida has that kind of resource? I don't think so. If you combined all of these little villages together, they may be able to pull it off, but that would take hours. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and and two fish, but what are they for so many? That's interesting. They have forgotten what they have just experienced. Hey, you feed them. Well, what do you mean? Well, um, you raised dead people. You cured, uh, you know, leprosy. You, you cast out demons. They forgot all of that. Hmm. There's a young boy in the, in the mix. This, this kid, you got to love this kid. He thought ahead, right? He packed a lunch. <laughs> and, and it's the end of the day, and he's still got some food right? He's probably had a little bit of it snacking throughout the day. Five barley loaves and like little rolls and a couple of dried fish. So let's just pretend like we're in this experience. What do we got here? Anyone have a granola bar? Did you bring any food to church? Any, anyone? Oh, what do we got? Aiden, what you got, man? Bring up what you got. Look at this. (laughs) Now this guy comes prepared. What do we got in here? Thank you, young man. You're willing to part with this? You would let me take this from you that you packed just for you? Yes. Hey, we got five rolls and some goldfish. <laughs> right on, man. Thank you. Thank you. How's this going to work? Just with this group, how far is this really going to go? Really? All they see is what's in front of their eyes. Jesus is calling them to faith, and they miss it. This is a test, and they're forgetting. The resource of heaven is theirs to bring to bear on the situation, and they're like, well, there's this young boy, and he gave up his dinner. This is all we got. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we're going to buy food for all these people. There was about 5,000 men. So think of this. 5,000 men, okay? If you add women and children to this, commentators believe we're talking somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people have now gathered. It's evening time. They're there. We're talking about thousands upon thousands of people who are hungry. And all Jesus has is five rolls and some goldfish, dried fish. Listen to what he says. Now, he says to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And so they did. Now, this is an interesting, this is an interesting command. He sends them out, and he says, I want you to arrange all of these thousands of people by 50s. There's a few reasons for this. One, we're avoiding a mob, okay? You do not want that many hungry people 
finding out that there's a source of food in a, in a desert area and storming the castle. It's everyone moving in. You've got a trampling. You've got all kinds of chaos. That's not how the Lord works, is it? He is a God of order, not a God of chaos. So he instructs the disciples, have them sit in groups of 50. And so they have them all sit down. Now, as this finished, this would have taken some time for thousands of people. Spread the word. There would have been a hush, a silence, a focus. What is happening? What is this? What's about to happen? When they all came back and the people were quiet, they were seated down. Then Jesus took the five loaves and he took the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over this meager young boy's lunch. He looked up to heaven. This is what he wanted his disciples to do. Draw on the resource of heaven. And he took and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Let's give it a try, guys. He gave everyone in the crowd their dinner. They began to pass these out. Now, just picture what this would have looked like. I don't know, somewhere Jesus is there and there's baskets, and he's breaking these rolls and, and filling these baskets. And each time he fills a basket, he hands it to another disciple. And they go out, and they begin to, to hand out this food. Now, just to say this, this is the best roll you've ever tasted. Okay, you remember when Jesus made the water into wine? What did they say of the wine? It's the best. You saved the best for last. So... <laughs> This would have been an amazingly memorable experience. You are tasting a barley roll that has literally been created by God himself, right before your eyes. Now, he's drawing from this original basket, so it's not ex nihilo, but it's multiplication by creation. He's breaking, 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 and it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. Imagine what that moment would have been like. Imagine the, the sound of people eating, discussions, the awe going over the crowd. Maybe it was just a hush. Maybe, maybe people were just absolutely astonished. This is the first time Jesus has done something like this before. If you're the disciples, every time you take another basket from Jesus, you've got to have the question in the back of your mind because if you're serving the people, you're not eating, are you? And you're still hungry, okay? You're getting past the 14,000 mark of people, and you get to the 15,000 mark, and the 16, and you, you've got to be wondering in the back of your mind, are we going to run out? I, I, I mean, literally, are we going to feed all these people and not have any left for us? Will it be enough? Will it be enough? They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. How many baskets? Twelve. One for each apostle. Twelve, exactly. That's the leftovers. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus doesn't even have to say it, does he? Why did you doubt? Forget the resource of heaven. Forget, you forget what he can do 
in you and through you. Don't forget. Remember. Look to Him. Rely upon Him. Trust in Him. Just like you did when I sent you out with no bread. He provides. He provides. This is, my friends, the all-sufficient Christ. The all-sufficient Christ. It's interesting to see is how Jesus carries this teaching. He never does anything by accident. He never does anything without perfect wisdom and timing. And so we read in John, just shortly after this, he began to teach. And I I, I like to try to stay in Luke, but this is too good. We've got to jump over to John because this is one event that all four gospel writers include. And John gives us some detail that just is mind-blowing. Jesus says to the crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. You think that was Moses? You're missing the point. Moses asked God for that bread. He sought the Lord. It was the Father that gave the bread. And I would even think that Jesus may be pointing to himself here in this. I was a part of that bread, that manna work. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the crowd, imagine just echoing that flavor of that barley loaf they ate. Oh, it was so good. So satisfying. They say, sir, give us this bread always. Let's do that again. Right? Can we do that again? That was awesome. And it tasted so good. And then Jesus says this. Listen close. I am the bread. I'm the bread. It's me. It's me. The bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Absolute satisfaction. Satisfaction guaranteed. When you come to Jesus with the hunger of your soul and you come to him, cry out to him in desperate need, you look to him, he will meet you there. And your soul will will find its satisfaction. Friends, we live in a world that looks everywhere else to satisfy the hunger of the soul. All of the other idols, the false options, the mirages that are held out by the enemy, come, eat at this table. It is rocks. It's not bread. The bread of life response this morning there's a lot of talk these days about if you're going to be enough you know you're fighting this insecurity i just don't feel like i'm enough and then this 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 push from the self-esteem gospel of our day oh you are enough girl you're enough you got this right you're enough you're a winner the rain on your parade but you're not enough just, just hear this loud and clear. You are absolutely not enough. You don't have this. On your own, you don't stand a chance. Your enemies are far too great. The sin inside of you, the darkness, 
the inclination toward the fires of hell, you can't touch that. You, you, you are doomed on your own. You're not enough. The enemy who seeks to target you, steal, kill, and destroy in your life, you stand no chance against him. Don't fool yourself think that just saying words is going to change anything. It, it's not. You're not enough. It is the enemy who seeks to deceive as an angel of light to prop up people's self-esteem and run them to the fires of hell. You see what I'm saying? But Jesus is more than enough. We have a Savior who is more than enough. He, he is available. He is called forth the praise to the ends of the earth. He's calling a people out who will look to him and say, I am not enough. I cannot deal with this. I cannot solve the sin problem in my soul. I cannot overcome the enemy of my soul. I cannot bring life where there's only death, but he can. He is enough for me. He is more than enough. There's leftovers, friends, at this table. My cup runs over. If you are here and your soul hungers for satisfaction and you have looked to money, to success, even to family, you have looked all kinds of places and you still have this ache in your soul, let me just tell you, you need bread. You need bread this morning the bread of life. You need Jesus. He's more than enough. If you're here and you have tasted of this bread, you know how amazing it is. It's satisfying, soul-satisfying. What I would call us to this morning is don't forget the taste of that bread. We need it every day. Our Father in heaven, give us this day daily bread daily bread. What is that pointing us to? Jesus, every day, every single day. I need him as much today as the day I was saved, and I will need him the moment before I die exactly the same. I need him, and he is all-sufficient in everything. Look to him, depend upon him, trust him, and you will be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these reminders, these pointers, these gracious words you have given us to focus the reality of our lives in a world that is happy to live in a mirage, a delusion. We thank you for the clarity of your word, for the, the face of Jesus Christ, for his authority, his power, his victory. We thank you, Lord, for the good news that this is, that there is hope for those who are not enough, that we can be honest and look inside and see our great insufficiency and then cry out to you, oh, Jesus, what a Savior you are. You are sufficient to save. You are sufficient to hold and you are sufficient to bring us all the way home. We give praise to you, Lord, the bread of life. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.